What's up, y'all? This is the Black Boy Talks Podcast. I'm your Black Boy, Elijah Smith. And today, is, we have a um very special interview. You know, somebody that overcame a lot of um adversities in life, you know, over this past month. And somebody who constantly, you know, had to deal with... um. How can I word this? Somebody that had to deal with a lot of obstacles and was able to overcome many of them. And I want to welcome y'all, Angie Cha Cha. How you doing? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing okay. I thought this was gonna be a video too. You thought you were setting up for a video? Yeah. Because <laughs> wow. I had asked you, was it gonna be video or just audio? Mm. Yeah, it's but gonna I'm- be. This audio. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. All right, so that's good. I'm doing good. It's nice to speak to you. Thank you, you for too. having me. No problem. So, I right, let's get into um, you know, your story. Like, tell tell them who you are, and you know how we met, and how you how you how did we get to this point? You know, let's just run them down the story. Okay, my name is Angie, but I go by Angie Cha Cha on a lot of my social media. Um, I am 42 years old. I am a mother of four. I have four grandchildren. So I am definitely not your uh, typical grandmother. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I grew up... um, all over different places, Um, was born in Kentucky, spent a lot of my youth in Georgia, so I'm a Georgia peach. Okay. And um, I met Elijah um, via Twitter. He posted this post, and I was feeling it. And it says, never be afraid to start over again. New beginnings sometimes bring the best changes to your life. Mm-hmm. So I retweeted it because it's true. It's just facts. Like, you're going to have to start over again a lot of times in your life. And mm-hmm. I, I loved that because that's what I've had to do. So I used his tweet and uh, pasted it on a video of myself uh, that I took um, not too long ago out here in Puerto Rico. And um, put in the caption, don't ever be afraid to start over. You never know what blessings are in store for you. I went from being homeless to living rent-free in Puerto Rico. And that's a real true-ass story. Like, that's just a a true story. It sounds crazy. It sounds like, how can you, how could you obtain that? Like, people ask me all the time, you know, like, how you, how you living rent-free, like, in Puerto Rico by this beautiful tropical beach mm-hmm. but anything is possible that you put your mind to you know I manifested these things into my life I've been speaking about living by a beach for a long time like even when I was in my 20s my son he had um I took him to the store to buy a puzzle and he picked this puzzle of this beach and it was a beach in Bora Bora Mm-hmm. And I seen it and I was like, oh, my God, that place is so beautiful. If I ever get the money, I'm going to go there. And I got the money and I could have went there, but I didn't. I ended up coming here 
uh, on vacation in 2015, I came twice mm-hmm. uh, because my dad is from here. He's from Ponce. So I said, you know, I want to go see the, I want to, I, I, I'd rather go see the island, you know, where my dad is from, you know, and just like embrace the, my roots and stuff like that. So I came out here and both times that I came, I cried when I was leaving. So I knew that this island felt like home to me and it impacted me to the point that I was crying and not wanting to leave here. And so ever since then, I just always been thinking about it, you know, like, when I get the chance, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Puerto Rico. I'm gonna move to Puerto Rico. You know, I wanna live there. Mm-hmm. And I started uh, experiencing homelessness. And I always said, you know, if I'm gonna be homeless, I might as well be homeless uh, by the beach. Why the mm-hmm. hell I'm gonna be homeless in the in the city streets, sleeping on a corner behind a trash can or something, or having to hop from place to place, you know, and that never works out because people always have underlying intentions. Yeah. So, you know, I just kept on saying to myself, you know, I want to live, you know, I don't know, I want to live in Puerto Rico. And I also was complaining, you know, too, about the rent. Like, rent is just too damn high. Like, these prices for rent is just be crazy. I don't even care where you live at. It just be crazy amounts. Like, what is y'all smoking on? Y'all know that there's people that need, you know, like assistance, especially after this year, you know, and yeah, this was a, this was a um a crazy year. It it was it was very crazy this year, and it was just too much. And I just, you know, be like, why, you know, how are people supposed to live? You know, people have to, you know, end up resorting to roommating with other people and stuff like that. You know, just so that you can survive out here, you know. But I said to myself, too, I don't want to keep on paying rent because on some real shit, most people that own properties are white people. Now, I'm not saying that indigenous people don't own anything because we do. But the most people that own shit, especially in the United States, is white people. And so why I want to keep on paying to give my money to the white man so that white man can keep coming up while I keep staying in the situation where I'm at, struggling. So I said, I don't want to fucking pay rent no more. And I kept on thinking about it too all the time and saying it, like, I don't want to pay rent no more. And here I am. And I live rent free mm-hmm. uh, in an 1800 mansion. I mean, it's big as hell. Like, it don't it don't look like your average typical mansion, but this was built in the 1800s, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I live a five-minute walk from the beach. So that's why I always be telling people, like, your dreams can come a, a reality. You can manifest anything that you want in this life. Like, it sounds crazy to sit and think that you're going to be able to live somewhere rent-free. I don't have people tell me you can't, you can't live uh, somewhere for free. You know, and mm-hmm. so be it, I'm not paying cash to stay here, but in exchange for my services, which is cleaning up this place, delivering mm-hmm. up in the kitchen, mm-hmm. I get to stay here. I put in five hours of work a day so that I could stay here for free. And I'm cool with that because cleaning isn't nothing to me. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? 
it's, it's, it's something that everybody has to do every day of their life anyway. You know, right. Unless they just lazy as fuck. And so what that ain't that ain't nothing to me to clean up this spot and whenever guests come change the the, the um sheets and stuff and make the bed, put mm-hmm. new sheets on it and stuff and get the room ready for the another guest when another guest come, like that's not asking too much, you know? Okay, so yeah. let's let's get into, you know, the obstacles that you faced before you you know, it led up to you not um you know, living rent free. Let's talk about some of the the things that you had to go through in order to get to this place. Okay, well, I've been through so many things. Like, I mean, you 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 could tell um a little bit of. You don't have to tell a whole thing. You know, just give them like little bits and pieces if you want. But if you want to tell a whole story, then. You know, I'm okay with that. Well, I'm going to just briefly, like, describe some of the things that I've been through in my life. Like, Mm -hmm. just name them. But there's two events that happened in my life that I am going to touch base a little bit on out of all of the other ones. Because that's what got me here to where I am today. Okay. So, I was abused as a child. My father is uh, a drug addict, alcoholic. My mother, um, she has been very verbally abusive to me growing up. So I went through a lot of abuse, especially from partners. I've been in a lot of domestic violence relationships. Um, I lived in poverty a lot growing up. Um, We didn't have a lot. and it it was hard, you know, I was the oldest. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the firstborn to both of my parents. So I had to play the protector role and always looking over my siblings. You know, when my daddy start cutting up, you know, tell my siblings to go to the room and hide and just, you know, things like that that I shouldn't have had been put in that type of position as a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up uh, being raped multiple times. You got to excuse that because these these Puerto Rican folks out here, and I don't even know, like, I think it's them because that, it happens uh, often, but they always putting off fireworks like it's the 4th of July all year round. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing, but, um, but I've, uh, I had to go through some real excruciating things like being raped. Um, I've also been molested by one of my cousins that's seven years older than me. Um, I the times that I were raped, they were all different times in my life. I was 14 when it first happened. I was 18 the second time it happened, and I was like 20 when the third time happened. And they were all different people, and they were people that I knew. A lot of times, people don't think that it's people that you don't know, but most of the time, it's people that you're close to that you know that do this to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had mm-hmm. like a lot of toxicity in my life but I was addicted to alcohol so I was an alcoholic for a while in my life mm-hmm. um, I became a young I was a young parent um, I had my first child when I was 17 years old um, I was married by the time I was 19 years old and 
Um, I, I went through a lot of heartbreak um, in my life. Um, a lot of people that um, I gave my heart to that let me down, that showed me uh, different than what I was expecting from them, including my parents. Um, but my grandmother, she has been a very important influence to me. She's a Buddhist and she's from Japan. And mm -hmm. she just really instilled a lot into me, you know, growing up, if it wasn't for her, mm -hmm. I probably would have turned out not very good. But, but, you know, I probably would have a lot more issues than what I have, but because I had her in my life to just like, tell me positive things. Like she will always tell me all the time. She was like, Anja, you're gonna have anything you want, any any wish you desire, you can have. And I used to think she was crazy. Like, man, this lady don't know what she's talking about. Like, bye. You can't. No, that's not how this works. Like, you can't just have whatever you want in this world. Like, no. And I just used to think she'd be tripping when she'd be saying stuff like that. Like, is she delusional or something? Like, what is wrong with her? But she really was telling the truth. Because I've been a witness to it. I'm a testimony of the things that my grandmother would tell me. And just like I wanted to live rent-free by the beach, anything that you want, anything that you desire, you can have, you can. Mm -hmm. So my grandma wasn't tripping. She was just putting me on game to stuff, even though I thought she was crazy back then. But I still remember those things that she taught me growing up. And one thing she taught me that was most important is unconditional love. And I never got love from my parents like that. It was her that showed me what that was, which is why I was able to extend love to other people. Because mm -hmm. had it had it not been for her, you know, I just would be not have no love to give. I would just be mostly running around in my life searching for it, you know, which I, I ended up doing, too, because of not having that love from your parents. You know, you go out and look for it. You know, it's like something like, missing. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is. So you go out at a young age doing promiscuous shit and shit you ain't got no business doing, you know, just trying to find that love that you've been missing out on. So, you know, I, I had these bad multiple things, you know, that's have happened in my life. And um, the first time really that I ever, uh, like, just started changing and just it was a crazy event happened and it's like that with everybody you know you just have to go through certain things that just shift you in life and I was like uh, 21 and I was on my uh, third marriage at 21 <laughs> oh wow yeah already I had uh Married my high school sweetheart. The first guy, I met him in high school, but he wasn't my high school sweetheart, and we had two kids together. Mm -hmm. Second guy, I was married still when I married him, so really that marriage don't really count. Mm -hmm. um, and then I ended up, like, legally marrying the third guy, and that was the high school sweetheart, and he was abusive to me. And he, one night, um, punched me in my stomach, and ruptured mm -hmm. my spleen and I was internally bleeding and I didn't know. My stomach just was like cramping and I just couldn't hold no nothing down. I sat on the toilet and I fell flat on my face. Mm -hmm. I, I was like, maybe if I crawl, I'll be okay. So I crawled, went to the refrigerator, tried to give me something to drink and I fell flat. 
straight backwards. So, you know, I didn't want to go to the hospital because I didn't have insurance. I didn't have medical, Medicaid or nothing like that. So I'm like, nah, because in Georgia, you can't get Medicaid, only if you're pregnant. So I'm just like, nah, you know, I ain't going to go. You know, I'm I'm okay. Well, through the night, I just kept hearing this voice saying, you know, uh, Angela, go to the hospital. And I'm just like, no, nah, I'm not. I'm arguing with the voice. Like, I ain't going. Like, I don't have Medicaid. Like, y'all tripping. I ain't going to the hospital. And it just voice kept getting louder. And then finally, it was like mm-hmm. 7 a.m., the voice just screamed to me and was like, Angela, go to the hospital right now. And it screamed. It scared the hell out of me. I said, what the fuck was that? I said, oh, shit. Okay, I'm going. I'm going. Damn, shit. So I took my ass to the hospital. Well, they started doing all these tests. And next thing you know, they put me in the back of the ambulance and they rushed me to Savannah, which is like a 45-minute drive from where I'm from, which is Hinesville, Georgia. Mm-hmm. They rushed me there. And the EMT kept on telling me, you know, like, I need you to stay with me, you know, ma'am, I need you to stay with me. And I'm just like, no, it just didn't dawn on me that why is he saying this to me, you know? Yeah. And when I get there, you know, they tell me to count backwards. I remember they put the mask on my face and I got to four and I woke up and I was in this room and it was all white in there. I thought my ass then died and went to heaven. I said, (laughs) I'm looking around everywhere. And then I look to my left and I see this motherfucker, the one that I'm married to at the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I definitely ain't in in fucking heaven if this motherfucker's right here. So I I don't want him in there because I'm just like, you know, you... You you put me in this situation. You're the reason why I'm in the hospital. So, like, I'm pressing the button for the nurse to come because I can't talk. Mind you, I have 50 staples on my stomach because the doctor came in and he showed me. He lift, he, he said, are you ready to see your, your um where we did surgery? At? And I said, yes. And he said, this is going to be difficult for you, so just keep in mind. And he lifted my shirt up, and I've seen, seen all of these staples. I had 50 staples in my stomach. From underneath my breast to the tip of my belly button. And I started crying and it hurt so bad because, you know, your muscles be hurting when you get surgery on your stomach. So Mm -hmm. if you laugh or you cry or whatever, it hurts. And I just couldn't even really cry because it just hurt so bad to even cry. So I just had to, like, suck it up. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, what the fuck? What the fuck? And... That right there was a very spiritual thing for me to go through because I didn't know it but at, at, at the time, but I know now that that was my higher self, you know, connecting with me and letting me know, you know, like, no, you, you need to go get yourself some help mm-hmm. or you're going to die. Because the doctor told me, if I, I asked him, I said, if I didn't come to the hospital, what would have happened? He said, you would have died. And I said, how was I going to die? And he said, you would have just closed your eyes and went to sleep and died. And he said, you only had like an hour left to live by the time you got to the hospital. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that right there was just life-changing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I stayed with that guy, you know, and it just, things didn't get better. You know, the abusive relationships, they never get better. And it was in... I ended up leaving him. That happened in September. 
of 2000. So that was like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I left him that following June of the next year, 2001. And I, I never been back since. And that, you know, caused me to just really start changing myself and my life and improving myself. So little by little, you know, I started working on myself um, and just polishing myself and becoming a better version of me. Um, and then in uh, 2009, I met this man. Um, I had several, I had two kids when I was with the last, husbands but they weren't his kids they were from the first marriage Mm -hmm. but I ended up having two other kids after that Um, and then in 2009 I met this man that was 10 years older than me Um, we didn't have any kids together but he was a soulmate to me we had a very close connection with each other and we were together for about five years, um, he ended up passing away in a motorcycle accident on December 11, 2014. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, one of the events in my life that really, you know, like affected me too and pushed me, you know, more on my spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. Before he passed away, I had three premonitions of him dying in a motorcycle accident before it happened. The first two premonitions were in my sleep. And, you know, the first time I woke up and he was like, you know, what's wrong? And I said, you know, I just had, I just had this crazy dream. It just felt so real that you died in a motorcycle accident. And he said, it's okay, you know, you know, come back to sleep. And, and he grabbed me and he held me close to him. And he said, you know, just, You just had a nightmare, just go back to sleep. So then I end up having it again, maybe some months later, because mind you, these all happened within a two year time frame. Mm -hmm. It was some months later and I ended up having, you know, the same dream again. And I I told him, I said, no, 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 no. There's something, something's not right. There's something's not right. I said, uh because I'm having a a repetitive dream. And I said, and I usually don't have repetitive dreams, you know, like there's only been one in my time in my lifetime that I can remember just really having this repetitive dream. Cause usually it's like something that's really bothering you. Mm -hmm. You'll just keep on having this dream about it because it's bothering you. You need to address it. Or, um, sometimes it's, uh, you know, uh, and a past memory, you know, your, your, your journey, it's not really a dream. It's just a past memory that's playing in, in your sleep cycle mm. or it's a premonition. And okay. so- Can you explain like a premonition? Cause some people that's listening might not know what that word is. So can you like, you know, give like a little definition? Okay. Uh- premonition is, um, when you have dreams and they're and they're they seem so real to you, mm-hmm. okay. And what happens in your dreams, it happens in real life. Okay, so I, I know many people probably felt that before because I know I did. 
and yeah. you know that that's real. So that's real. It's your dreams becoming a, a literal reality, and mm-hmm. so you know when I had the second one, you know, because at this time I just think that I'm having a bad dream. I mm-hmm. woke up and I tell him, and he tells me, you know, you know it's okay, you know it's gonna be okay. Oh. Well, the third time. And I remember this time, clearly, it was in February of 2014. My eyes was open, and I was sitting in the kitchen. And I had the, the premonition, seeing the same vision, everything. Him dying in a motorcycle accident, like all of these motorcycles coming to his funeral from all far different places. Like, it was just a whole bunch of people there just showing him love. It was crazy. So I freak out, and I'm like, you know what? I was like, you can't ride your motorcycle no more. So I start hiding his keys. I don't want to let him, you know, um, ride the motorcycle. I'm, I'm like, no, nah, you, um, you can't take it. Like, you, you, you gonna die. Like, you're not listening to me. And he kind of come out and tell me. He said, look, he said, if I die in a motorcycle accident, I just want you to know that I died doing something that I love. He said, you gotta stop this. You gotta stop doing this to yourself. It's gonna be okay. He said, I just know that I died doing something that I love and you should be happy with it. And I said, okay, okay, fine. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to chill out, you know, but I'm, I still have a bad feeling about this, but I'm going to chill out. Mm-hmm. So he says he wants to go on a cross-country trip because he was in a, a motorcycle club. It's called Outcast Motorcycle mm-hmm. Club. And they are a one-percenter club. They are all black prestigious motorcycle club you have clubs like hills angels and stuff like that that's just all white this yeah all black all black men okay Mm -hmm. so he was in this motorcycle club and and he wants to do a cross-country trip now what that is is when you go from one end of the united states to the other end from east coast to west coast vice versa so we're in virginia and we leave and this is like maybe the end of may we leave and we go on this cross-country trip. Um, but before we leave, in April, he gives me this paper. He comes to me. And he says, um, here, I want you to put this in your filing cabinet. And at the time, I was organizing some stuff in my filing cabinet and throwing stuff away. And so I was sitting down at it already. And I grabbed the paper and I looked at it. And it was a life insurance policy. Mm-hmm. And he said, I just want you to know that if anything happens to me, that you'll, you're going to be okay. Like, I got you. And I was like, wow. And, you know, I didn't even pay attention to how much money it was. I just put it in my filing cabinet. Like, just him doing that, I just was like, wow, you know, like, I appreciate that, you know, because he knew that the premonitions were bothering me. <clears throat> so we go on the cross-country trip. We go all the way to California. We go to Texas, Kansas. We go back down to Virginia. And we come back home. We was gone for like two weeks. And um, he had been suffering from like PTSD episodes. um, And he ended up, you know, having an episode like around uh, September 2014. And he was taking his gun and he was like trying to force me to take his gun because he wanted me to kill him. Mm. So what what was causing his PTSD? 
He was in the military for 26 plus years. Oh, wow. So he, he actually like went to war. Yes, yes. And mm. um, he was living with this very dark secret. And it was, um, he, he told me this secret too, like not too long before he passed away. He said, I never told anyone this before. Mind you, we had already been together for like five years and he's just now telling me this. He said, I, um, I've never told anybody this. And he goes, but I just feel like that I need to tell you. And I was like, I said, well, what is it? And, and he said, um, he said, when I, when I was stationed in Iraq, he said, there was this firing going on in this building across from us. And I ordered my men to fire back. And when we went to go clear out the building, there was this couple and their daughter and the mom was on the floor crying with her daughter in her hand, and the father was yelling at me. And he goes, someone from my squad shot that little girl. Oh, wow. I ordered them to do it, so I'm responsible for her death. And he said, and I picked the girl up, you know, and I was trying to help her, and I just held her and I remember her eyes. I could still see her eyes looking into my eyes. And he said, and I can't get that image out of my head. And he said, in her blood on my hands, it doesn't ever want to come off of my hands. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I tried to talk to him and be, you know, as supportive as I can, you know, as his partner mm -hmm. um, and just tell him, you know, that it, it's not your fault, you know, like I get why you feel like you should blame yourself, but you were ordered to do a job and to go over there and you did your job to the best of your ability, you know, and I, I get that you feel guilt inside of you for mm -hmm. ending her life and such a, a child's life. You know, that that's can have heavily weigh on somebody's heart, you know, and it weighed heavily on his. And it didn't matter what I said to him. It just mattered what he thought about himself. And he didn't feel good about himself. He didn't want to live anymore. And he was extremely depressed, um, you know, and plus our, you know, issues that we had going on just added more depression you know, to what he was already experiencing, but it was hard for me too because I, I, there was like some type of demonic entity living in my home. You know, one night we was gone, me and him and and his daughter. She was in her twenties. She lived mm -hmm. with us, and my kids were there. They were teenagers at the time, and they all thought it would be a good idea to draw the Ouija board on a piece of paper. And I don't know what they did, but they summoned some shit into the house. <laughs> yes, okay? Because we have boxer dogs, okay? Mm -hmm. At this time, we, we only had the male dog, which was his dog. His name was Gunner. Mm -hmm. And this dog is like five or six years old, so he's a pretty decent-sized boxer already. He's already grown size, you know? Mm -hmm. We had him in his cage. And, and he was in his kennel and uh, locked up. And, 
he's seen some shit and I swear that that fucking kennel came up off the ground like he jumped in that kennel he was so frightened and the, the whole kennel came up off the ground and it would just be different stuff going on you know like my daughter would hear whispering outside of her door and um, my youngest he was like telling me you know he was like five at the time saying he's seen you know like a, a big tall man a dark dark man like a shadow man standing <clears throat> in his room and, and just watching him and so it was just like a, a lot of like evilness so do you think that was you know your um ex ex partner at the time that that the one that passed away from the um motorcycle crash do you think that was him no this was while he was still alive okay this was going on and so I felt like that uh, a lot of that that de- that demonic entity didn't help either because it attached itself to him, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he came out that in September of 2014 trying to hand a gun to me to make me kill him, and he goes and he points it at his head at the temple, and I hair up and I turned around really quick. Mm-hmm. And to to face away from him because I didn't want to watch him blow his brains out. Mm. And so the gun went off. And so I slowly turn around and he has the gun in his hand and he's like, see, you wasn't even going to do anything. You wasn't going to you wasn't even going to fucking help me. And I started screaming at him. I'm like, what the fuck do you want me to do? Like, you want me to wrestle the gun from you or risk my damn life? I have kids to live for. What is wrong with you? And I look up and there's the bullet and it went into the ceiling he shot the gun above my head Mm. and so he goes really quick like some crazy madman to the garage so that he can get plaster and plastered up every fucking hole the hole went up to to the second floor of the house and up into the roof and he plastered every hole before the cops came jeez yeah, because I, I guess the military training kicked in. Yeah, that, yeah it, it definitely did because he had a whole bag full of guns and took that bitch and left the house. Mm. So I found out he had a storage unit where he was keeping stuff at and where he was also using as his man cave to get away from me or mm-hmm. get away from the house when he didn't want to be there, okay? Mm-hmm. So when that happened, I said, you know what? I said, I got to go, you know, because you're doing, you're doing too much. It's time for me to go. I said, I need to go to my mom. So I went to my mom's and we separated, but I still, I have my stuff there. I packed all my stuff up and everything and just set it up in the dining room. And I told him, you know, when I can get it, I'll get it. You know, when I get back on my feet, just keep it here. Mm -hmm. And And we, you know, went and had a separation and uh, my daughter, I left her there with him because she she looks as at this man as her father. You know, she would call him dad and everything. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel like my kids would be in danger staying there, you know, like uh, because my, the issue that he was having was with me, not with my kids. So my daughter, she wanted to stay there and finish high school because she already done went with these kids to middle school. Now she want to finish high school with them. So I get it. So we talked and my daughter stayed there with him and I left and I went to my mother's. 
Well, I seen him. He came to get me in October. And we went to this party in Atlanta. And then he took me back uh, to to uh, our home in Virginia. And I stayed there the whole month of November, um, you know, to spend Thanksgiving with my daughter and stuff. And I was given custody of my youngest to his dad as well because of the situation that was going on. I didn't want my son in that environment anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my the beginning of November, I gave my son custody to his dad. By the end of November, Thanksgiving is rolling around. And I am spending Thanksgiving in a fucking mental institution. Oh, wow. So how... Wait, okay, so let me, let me, let me run this, run this back. So, so you, so you end up leaving, going to your mom's house. He ends up staying with your kids. With my daughter. With your daughter. My daughter and my youngest son. Okay. And you somehow end up in a crazy home. Like, I'm not understanding how all of that <laughs> now like I'm not understanding how you go from you know going to your mom's house to ending up in a crazy home. Like what well, happened in that amount of time that made you go crazy and end up, you know, like what happened? Now remember in September he pointed the gun out. Oh okay. Me, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And wanted me to kill him okay all right now Mm -hmm. mind you that's not the first time that that happened that's the second time because he also pulled a gun out me on me a couple of years before that happened Mm -hmm. he had a ptsd episode that ended him Mm -hmm. in the hospital and that's when he was diagnosed with ptsd Mm. so so okay um how Alright, since you have experience dealing with somebody with PTSD, you know, from seeing a lot of, you know, traumatic events, how would you encourage other people to deal with somebody like that? Like how like how did you be able to deal with that, you know, type of person knowing that they're mentally, you know, not all the way there? Like how can you like how how did you not fear you know, for your life being in this type of situation? Well, at first, uh, I didn't know he had PTSD until that situation happened. And that, we was already like three years into the relationship when mm. the first incident happened. Okay. And I already suffer from PTSD myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to assist someone else that is suffering from it because I know what it's like and what it feels like to go through it. And so, and I was very patient with him. I, I was like the nurse in the house, giving everybody their medication, making sure I kept schedules of everybody and who got to go to this doctor and go to this therapist and all this and that. Everybody in the house was seeing a therapist and our medication, including myself. And I was the only one keeping everything in order. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, I wasn't scared in the situation because it's not the first time that I've had a gun pointed at me. 
I've mm-hmm. had a whole gun with a laser on it pointed at me when my son, my firstborn child was like five years old and he was standing right there watching the situation happen. Mm-hmm. He, I, I told him to go outside and run and go get help from me. You know, so like that's not the first time I didn't had a gun pointed at me. I done had a gun pointed at me several times. So when he did it, it was like, you know, like, I'm going to be calm about things. I'm going to try to talk to him. Like the first time he kept pointing it at his temple and at my, at me and mm-hmm. at my face, you know, mm-hmm. in the direction of my face. And he kept asking, which one of us is it going to be? And I had to think in that situation when it happened the first time and just like talk to him calmly, you know, to, mm-hmm. to try to reason with him. But the second time, you know, he was trying to make me, kill him with the gun you know trying to give me his gun and so you know after that i just you know i couldn't deal anymore i was like you know i don't have no more patience for this you just need to take me to my mom's and so when the next month came around you know i seen him you know and went to the party with him and then just ended up going back home with him and i ended up having a nervous breakdown because we got into an argument so I'm going through all of this stress and stuff and back to back and, and back to back, you know, and pe- someone can only take so much, you know, people can only take so much till they have a breaking point. Yeah. And that was my breaking point. And I just flipped the fuck out and ended up in a mental institution for a week. Um, I spent Thanksgiving in there on Thanksgiving Day. He didn't even come up there really like he came and it was five minutes till visitation time was over. And, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't care about my feelings. And that just really showed me at that point, you know, that this this is done. It's completely over. You know, like, we just need to go our separate ways. I was willing to rekindle things with him as long as he went to get himself some help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going to go get myself help as well, you know. Um, but... You know, when he did that, that was just, you know, I was just done. I said, uh, there's, there was nothing inside of me that wanted me to continue having any type of relations with him other than just being a friend mm-hmm. to him. And That's so good. I just I just was done at that point, and I had him take me back to my mom's. Mm-hmm. And um, he, 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 he stayed the night. He slept from in my room, and I slept on the couch. And then the next day he left, and... You know, he gave my mom a hug and he was crying, you know, and telling my mom, you know, just please make sure, you know, she takes her medicine. And by this time, I had been off my medicine for like uh, a year or so or two. And I just wasn't like I wasn't taking the medicine anymore because it all it was doing was just making me feel like a fucking robot. Like I was just there. So I was just like, no, I'm not like something inside of me was telling me, you know, like this is not it's not good for you this mm-hmm. shit that they're trying to feed you is because if you look at the side effects of psycho you know active drugs you will see that this, a lot of the side effects will be like suicidal ideations like why are you taking medicine that's supposed to be helping you you know stabilize your mood but the minute that you get off of them they're making you feel like you want to kill yourself there's something mm. wrong with that yeah you know and so I told myself I ain't taking that damn medicine no more. But he was just so persistent on me taking this medicine, you know, and telling my mom, make sure she takes her medicine, make sure, you, you know, uh, you take care of her and all that. And then he left. Mm-hmm. 
And um, he had messaged me, you know, at one point in time about a situation with my daughter going to the doctor. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't respond to him. Um, I, I responded to him and then he messaged me telling me he needed me to call him about something. Uh, and I never called him about that. Mm-hmm. Whatever he wanted, I don't know what it was, but at four o'clock um, in the rising, I am woken up out of my sleep with a phone call from one of his club brothers, and he's telling me that he got into a motorcycle accident and that he's dead. Oh, wow. And I just screamed, you know. At first, I told him, you know, like, don't be... Don't be playing no jokes like this shit ain't fucking funny, you know. Mm-hmm. But then he's like, nah, you know, it's it's he. They call me Cha Cha in the motorcycle club, so um, that's where I got the name from. Is basically that's my motorcycle club name, um, mm-hmm. and I just put it together with my name. Everyone just call me Angie Cha Cha. But they was, it was like he was like, no, Cha Cha, like it, I'm not playing with you, you know, you know. This this is real, you know. He just got into to a uh, he slipped on some black ice and he lost control and he hit a tree. And I it was just it was awful for me because my daughter was still there because you know like I had said my daughter was living with him to finish school, mm-hmm. and so I had to call her up and tell her you know that her dad wasn't coming back home, you know. And how did she take that? not good at all she was very devastated you know uh, Mm -hmm. she she had told me that like a couple of days like she said like recently he just was acting really off and spending a lot of time locking himself up in his room Mm -hmm. you know she said he wasn't really talking very much to her he just would keep to himself so you know it just let me know that he was suffering from depression really bad, especially after I left and just kind of feeling like he ruined everything between us. And, mm-hmm. you know, and even um, some of the club brothers came forth and told me after he passed away that he was really sad. A lot of times he would come to the clubhouse and he would sit in the corner by himself, you know, and just drink and really wasn't himself you know, to mm-hmm. the last, you know, week week or so before he passed away. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like that he wanted to die. Um, I feel like that he also was trying to do something to get me to come back home. And... I feel like that he was being reckless on his motorcycle on purpose to make the accident happen because he has been, he rode a motorcycle starting at the age of 14. So he was riding for well over 30 years. And I have been on this motorcycle with this man and this man will go down ramps, exiting from one highway to the next where he would lean so far into the curve mm-hmm. that I could almost touch the fucking pavement with my hand. Like, that's how good that he is on a motorcycle. So, for him to, to slip over some black ice and lose control, I just don't believe that shit. I mm-hmm. believe that he just wanted to fucking die and he just didn't care. 
and he let the motorcycle just do whatever it was going to do. So, you know, because I, I got to wrap up because, you know, my phone is about to die. Oh, okay. So, can you give, like, you know, the people that's listening, like, some kind of motivation, you know, to keep going? Because, you, you know, you've been through quite a, a, a lot, and, you know, I commend you and, you know, give you my emotional respect for, you know, still continuing to fight and just keep going even when, you know, it seems like life just won't quit, you know, throwing you different obstacles. So can you give a little bit of motivation and can you tell them, like, how, you know, you was able to stay strong and keep on pushing no matter, you know, the difficulties? Yes. I sure can. Um, a little bit briefly before I go into that, I just want to say real quick that I also did endure recently, which is the reason why Elijah reached out to me in the first place, is because um, in the month of October, I went through, I experienced three near-death um, experiences. I was caught inside of my van uh, when it caught on fire, mm-hmm. um, escaped out of there. Um, a week after that, uh, I, we had a, me and my girlfriend had a gun pointed at us as we were riding down the street in Las Vegas. And um, then the week after that, I was crossing the street while I was with my girlfriend and I got hit by a car. Yeah. So, you know, just going through those near-death experiences, you know, along with the other tragic experience that I had spoke on with the having my spleen ruptured and, mm-hmm. you know, the soulmate of mine passing away... Uh, it just really propelled me on a spiritual journey and to just look at things from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Mostly that's how I've gotten through a lot of the things that I've been through is because you have to condition your mind. You know, you have to make your mind strong and you, because your mind, it will play tricks on you. Like it will make you feel, you know, like giving up sometimes, but you also have to have faith too. And that's one thing that I never stopped having was faith. Like, it don't matter if you, like, what you believe in, if you believe in multiple gods, one God, higher power, whatever your higher power is, because I don't judge anybody. You you are where you are on this journey. But you just, you have faith in that higher power and just know that you're always going to overcome anything that, any obstacle that comes in your way, you're going to overcome it because we were built for stuff like this. But through time, we have lost in in touch with who we are, you know, as, mm-hmm. as we're, we're living a human experience, we're, we're souls living a human experience. It's not the other way around, mm-hmm. you know? And so like, you're going to persevere through anything. Cause this ain't the first lifetime that you live. AK it's not the first rodeo, you know what I'm saying? So you, if you can go through one lifetime, two lifetimes, five lifetimes coming to this earth, this lifetime is the same thing. It's just all about, changing your mindset and how you perceive things mm-hmm. you when you when you put your yourself in a hell-like state of consciousness then think hell-like type of things is going to happen to you transitioning your thinking into a heaven-like state of consciousness that christ state of consciousness and you'll be able to navigate through this third dimensional realm a little bit more better and a little bit more peaceful mm-hmm. Um, thank you for that. Um, and I, I got two more questions before we go. 
So number one is, do you meditate? Yes. And can you like explain, you know, how you meditate? Because you know, people got different ways of meditation. And you know, some of the ways I meditate is I probably like sit on the couch, you know, turn the lights off, probably play like um some vibrational music, you know, like four thirty two hertz, and then I will like breathe in, you know, for um four seconds hold it for seven and then i breathe out eight can you like briefly give them you know a meditation technique my favorite meditation technique is sitting in the shower Mm -hmm. the water it brings power to me Mm -hmm. so i love i'm a fire sign so i need that water to balance me so i sit in the shower and i just sit in the quietness there and, you know, allow the warmth of the water to hit me and just, I've, I've come to many revelations in the shower. <laughs> so Now who you telling? Me too. Yeah. So <laughs> that one is my highly recommended one, you know, where I can get my peace away from anyone, you know, not because my girlfriend, like, I ain't going to say it's just her because it's me too, but we always be in each other's face. And so. Like, uh, sometimes we have to go run off and hide somewhere so we can get get our alone time or the other one going to come looking for the other one and bug bug them. So. Mm-hmm. I feel you. And uh, you said you had another question? Okay, so, you know, you talked about your grandmother being like a Buddhist. Am I correct? Like, yes. I don't want to get it wrong, okay? So, yes. all right. So, being as though that you didn't, like, get that, you know, love you know, from your parents that you was looking for and being so that your grandmother gave it to you. Can you give, um, you know, young teenage girls, like, or even even little, you know, little girls, um, can you give them, like, some, I don't want to say encouraging, I want to say um, a little bit of, of, you know, like guidance, you know, on how to, you know, effectively look for that um, love that, you know, they're missing in their life because, you know, because some people, they they either learn how to love others, you know, because they didn't get that love or they go seeking it. And in your situation, you know, you you was kind of seeking it, but then as though you had that, you know, person in your life that was like, look, you know, you can have whatever you want. And and you can you can like she's basically like that person that showed you the love. And how how do you tell somebody who've never experienced love before? How can you like what do you tell them? Like like how do how do they supposed to be in life? Like what do they look for? What's the like what should they not do? Like you just give run down a little bit of game. Yes. Do you understand the question that I yes, asked? Or? I do. Okay. I do. Um, okay. I was fortunate to have my grandmother in my life, but I knew there's some people that are not fortunate to have anyone to love them in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, you may not have anyone physically there that loves you, but know that there is someone there that loves you, whether it be your ancestors, mm-hmm. um, whether it be uh, someone that you don't even know like me. I love you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's hard for people to believe that a complete stranger can love them. But when you are someone that vibrates on my state of consciousness and mm-hmm. is very aware what 
the vibration of love does and it's something that comes naturally for you is to just love people the way that I do because I love everybody mm-hmm. then uh, you'll be able to receive that a little better so even though it may seem like you don't have anyone just know that someone is there loving you and the things that you should avoid are finding love through other people because the person that you need to look for love from is yourself you need to love yourself because you cannot possibly love anybody else if you do not know how to love yourself first i thought i was loving people but i really wasn't loving them and Mm -hmm. true meaning of love the real meaning of love is unconditional love it's when Mm -hmm. you can learn to love somebody no matter what even if they were a murderer if they were fat if they were skinny if they are black, if they are white, you know, it doesn't matter from what walk of life they come from, from mm-hmm. what they look like, to love somebody unconditionally, to see past the physical and to look at somebody's soul and to love that soul because mm-hmm. the physical means nothing. It comes and it goes. When you die, you will not have this meat suit anymore to walk around in. You're going to get you another meat suit. And mm-hmm. that meat suit may not be a meat suit that you want to have, but you know, it's still a meat suit that you're going to have to have for the experience. So you should really just start with learning to love yourself over anything and love yourself unconditionally. And then you'll be able to extend that to other people. Okay. You dropped a lot of gems in this um, episode. I'm always dropping gems. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're going to have to get you back on the, on the, on the show. So, you know, thank you, you know, for sharing your story. You know, thank you for giving me the time of day. You know, um, I really appreciate you. And I hope we can stay in touch because, you know, you really, um, you know, touched me in this in this uh, episode because, you know, sometimes I'll be dealing with a little bit of um, self-doubt and not really loving myself. But I look in the mirror and be like, nigga, <laughs> like, e- e- nigga, like, come on now. Like, <laughs> like, what? Boy, what's wrong with you? <laughs> cut, cut, cut it out. Cut but not. Nah, so, I, you know, sometimes I had to get myself back. Like, nigga, like, stop, stop playing. You know. But we all go through that, man. Even yeah. I go through that. Yeah, you know, we, I yeah. go through that myself, you know. And I have periods of time where I'm just like, I don't feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. I don't feel fucking pretty. Uh, I feel like a loser. You know, and mm-hmm. shit, I'm sensitive. My feelings get hurt. You know, I have people, I have bullies still to this day at 42 years old. I, ha- I have internet bullies, you know, like, and, and I go through shit too, you know, but at the end of the day, nobody's fucking making or breaking me but me. And I have to stay focused in things. Not once a negative thought comes into my mind, I shake that shit off as soon as I can. I don't let it just sit there and manifest into something bigger. Mm-hmm. I shake it off and I tell myself, 
nope, you're not going to think like this. And I also practice positive affirmations, which will help you and train your mind to stop thinking negatively. Mm -hmm. You get up and you look at yourself in the mirror every day and you tell yourself, I'm that motherfucker. Mm -hmm. I'm beautiful. I'm fine. I'm rich. I'm wealthy. You tell yourself all of them things that you know that you are, but when that negative voice comes in your mind, it tells you otherwise. Only you're going to be your number one cheerleader. You're going to be the one rooting for you all the time. Nobody else is going to be that person for you because even the person that's closest to you, you can sit there and go share some good-ass news with them and be like, oh, look at this and this and that. And you could see how they really ain't genuinely fucking happy for you, mm -hmm. even though they try to act like they are. So then, and say that person is is like your mom, you know what I'm saying? Like, because that my mom does shit like that, you know? Like, she'll just be like, oh, that's good. I'm proud of you. But I know that shit ain't fucking genuine. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, you can feel when it's genuine from someone and when it's fucking fake. And so when you even have your own mom sitting there, you know, not even fucking being your a cheerleader for you then you, you it just goes to show like you just have to be your own cheerleader a lot of us just don't have supportive family members and so that's why i, I seek my soul tribe because though that's my family they're the ones that have been keeping me on my toes they're the ones that motivate me that push me to be a better person along with my girlfriend so you know, it's just all about what you surround yourself and it's all about your mindset about things. That's how you conquer this third dimension. Mm. All right. You, you, you got me motivated. You got me. Um, Look, Elijah, you got up. this. Just shake that shit off. I'm saying. You, you are that nigga, Elijah Smith. All right. Thank you. You are wealthy, you are handsome. You are strong. You are smart. You got a lot of things going for you. I mean, look at what you're doing here with this podcast. Motivating our people, you know, like, yeah. especially our people and the indigenous people. You know, we need shit like this. You know, we got to be out here. We got to we gotta stand strong with one another. We need to help one another. You know, let's, mm -hmm. let's normalize therapy and things like that. You know, that black people like to sweep underneath the rug. You know, it's okay to go talk to somebody. Shit, you don't gotta pay nobody. You can if you wanna hit me up on my Instagram, it's Alchemetic Goddess. You go on there, you need somebody to talk to, you going through some shit in your life. Mm -hmm. Man, I I will be your cheerleader for you for real. Cause I'm all about I wanna see everybody do good in life. Everybody. I don't care who you are, you could be someone that did me so dirty and shitty. I still wanna see you win. Cause that's what kind of heart I have. Okay. Can you um you know Shout out uh, all of your Instagram. I mean, I say all your Instagram, all of your social media um, pages. My my uh, Instagram is Alchemetic Goddess. My um, YouTube is Angie Cha Cha. My Snapchat is Alchemetic God. Um, I have an Etsy shop too called The Alchemetic Goddess. Um, Y'all go check that out. I make crystal healing jewelry. I do tarot card readings, all that good spiritual magical shit. Um, but if anything, if you can't find me the same, uh, like the Angie Cha Cha name, if you just put in Angie underscore Cha Cha inside of the toolbar, the search engine, you will find me. You'll you'll see me because I'm 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 Googleable. 
I don't even know if that's a word, but I'm Googleable. <laughs> so that, there you go. That's how you can find me the quick way, and you'll find a bunch of my pages, and you just come on one of my things, and it'll lead you to my other sites. All right. So this is a Black Boy Talks podcast. I'm your Black Boy, Elijah Smith. This was Auntie Cha-Cha. Make sure you go check her out. For real. Check her out. You won't be disappointed. Check her out. For real. And we out. Peace.